0: Chapter 8 of Dread A Tale of the Great Dismal Swamp by Harriet Beecher Stowe. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by William Jones. Dread Chapter 8 Old Tiff. I say, Tiff, do you think he will come tonight? "'Laws, laws, missus, how can Tiff tell? I's been a-gazing out de doe, don't see no hear nothin' "'It's so lonesome, so lonesome, and the night's so long.' And the speaker, an emaciated, feeble little woman, turned herself uneasily on the ragged pallet, for she was lying, and twirling her slender fingers nervously, gazed up at the rough, unplastered beams above. The room was of the coarsest and rudest cast. The hut was framed of rough pine logs, filled between the crevices with mud and straw. The floor, made of rough split planks, unevenly joined together. The window was formed by some single panes, arranged in a row, where a gap had been made in one of the logs. At one end was a rude chimney of sticks, where smouldered a fire of pine cones and brushwood, covered over with a light coat of white ashes. On the mantel, over it was a shelf which displayed sundry vials, a cracked teapot and tumbler, some medicinal-looking packages, a turkey's wing, much abridged and effaced by frequent usage, some bundles of herbs, and lastly a gaily painted mug of coarse crockery ware containing a bunch of wild flowers. On pegs, driven into the logs, were arranged different articles of female attire, and divers' little coats and dresses, which belonged to smaller wearers, with now and then soiled and coarse articles of man's apparel. The woman, who lay upon a coarse, chaff pallet in the corner, was one who might have been pretty. Her skin was fair, her hair soft and curling her eyes a beautiful blue, her hands thin and transparent as pearl. But the deep, dark circles under the eyes, the thin white lips, the attenuated limbs, the hurried breathing, and the burning spots in the cheek, told that, whatever she might have been, she was now not long for this world. Beside her bed was sitting an old negro, in whose close curling wool age had begun to sprinkle flecks of white. His countenance presented physically one of the most uncomely specimens of negro features, and would have been positively frightful had it not been redeemed by an expression of cheerful kindliness which beamed from it. His face was of ebony blackness, with a wide, upturned nose, a mouth of portentous size guarded by clumsy lips revealing teeth which a shark might have envied. The only fine feature was his dark black eyes, which, at the present, were concealed by a huge pair of plaited spectacles, placed very low upon his nose, and through which he was directing his sight upon a child's stocking that he was busily darning. At his foot was a rude cradle, made of a gum-tree log, hollowed out to a trough, and wadded by various old fragments of flannel, in which slept a very young infant. Another child, of about three years of age, was sitting on the negro's knee, busily playing with some pine cones and mosses. The figure of the old negro was low and stooping, and he wore, pinned around his shoulders, a half-handkerchief, or shawl, of red flannel, arranged much as an old woman would have arranged it. One or two needles with coarse black thread dangling to them were stuck in on his shoulder, and as he busily darned on the little stocking, he kept up a kind of droning intermixture of chanting and talking to the child on his knee. "'So ho, Teddy! Bub dar, my man! Sit still! Cause your mamma's sick and sis has gone for medicine!' Dare Tiffle sing to his little man, Christ was born in Bethlehem. Christ was born in Bethlehem, and in a manger laid. Take care, dare, dat er needle scratch your little fingers, poor little fingers. Ah, uh, be still now, play with your pretty things, and see what your pa bring ye. Oh dear me, well," said the woman on the bed. "'I shall give up.' "'Bress the lord no, missus,' said Tiff, lying down the stocking and holding the child to him with one hand, while the other was busy in patting and arranging the bedclothes. "'No use in giving up. Why, lord, bless you, missus, we'll be all right again in a few days. Work has been kind of pressing lately, and children's clothes ain't quite so spectable. But then I's doing heaps of mending.' "'See that air?' said he, holding up a slip of red flannel, resplendent with a black patch. Dat air hole won't go no further, and it does well enough for Teddy to wear rollin' round de dough, and such like times, to save his bettermost, and the way I's put the yarn in these stockings ain't slow. "'Then I's laid out to make a stitch in Teddy's shoes, and that air hole in de coverlet.' THAT AIR'LL BE STOPPED FOR MORNING. OH, LET ME alone! HE, YE DIDN'T KEEP TIFF FOR NOTHING, Missus! Ho, 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 AND THE BLACK FACE SEEMED REALLY TO BECOME unctuous WITH THE OIL OF GLADNESS, AS TIFF PROCEEDED IN HIS WORK OF CONSOLATION. OH, TIFF, TIFF, YOU'RE SUCH A GOOD CREATURE. BUT YOU DON'T KNOW. HERE I'VE BEEN LYING ALL ALONE, DAY AFTER DAY, AND HE OFF, NOBODY KNOWS WHERE. AND WHEN HE COMES, IT'LL BE ONLY A DAY, AND HE'S OFF, AND ALL HE DOES DON'T AMOUNT TO ANYTHING. ALL MISERABLE RUBBISH BROUGHT HOME AND TRADED OFF FOR OTHER RUBBISH. OH, WHAT A FOOL I WAS FOR BEING MARRIED. OH, DEAR. GIRLS LITTLE KNOW WHAT MARRIAGE IS. I THOUGHT IT WAS SO DREADFUL TO BE AN OLD MAID, AND A PRETTY THING TO GET MARRIED. But oh, the pain and the worry and sickness and suffering I've gone through, always wandering from place to place, never settled, one thing going after another, worrying, watching, weary, and all for nothing, for I am worn out, and I shall die. Oh, Lord, no," said Tiff earnestly. Lord Tiff'll make ye some tea and give it to ye, ye poor lamb. It's dreadful hard, so tis, but times'll mend, and mass'll come around and be more settled like and Teddy will grow up and help his ma and I'm sure there isn't a purder young un than dis here puppet said he turning fondly to the trough where the little fat red mass of incipient humanity was beginning to throw up two small fists and to utter sundry small squeaks to intimate his desire to come into notice lor now said he adroitly depositing teddy on the floor and taking up the baby whom he regarded fondly through his great spectacles stretch away my pretty stretch away. Ho, ye, ho, lor, if he hasn't got his mammy's eye for all this world. Ah, oh, brave! See him, missus?" said he, laying the little bundle on the bed by her. Did you ever see a purtier young'un? He, 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 he! There! Now his mammy should take him, so she should, and Tiff'll make mammy some tea, so he will. And Tiff, in a moment, was on his knees carefully laying together the ends of the burned sticks and blowing a cloud of white ashes which powdered his woolly head and red shawl like snowflakes while teddy was busy in pulling the needles out of some knitting work which hung in a bag by the fire tiff having started the fire by blowing proceeded very carefully to adjust upon it a small black porringer of water singing as he did so MY WAY IS DARK AND CLOUDY, SO IT IS, SO IT IS, MY WAY IS DARK AND CLOUDY, ALL de DAY. THEN, RISING FROM HIS WORK, HE SAW THAT THE POOR, WEAK MOTHER HAD CLASPED THE BABY TO HER BOSOM, AND WAS SOBBING VERY QUIETLY. TIFF, AS HE STOOD THERE, WITH HIS SHORT, SQUARE, UNGAINLY FIGURE, HIS LONG ARMS HANGING OUT FROM HIS SIDE LIKE BOWS, HIS BACK COVERED BY THE RED shawl. Looked much like a compassionate tortoise standing on its hind legs. He looked pitifully at the sight, took off his glasses and wiped his eyes, and lifted up his voice in another stave. But we'll join the forty thousand by and by, so we will, so we will. We'll join the forty thousand upon the golden shore, and our sorrows will be gone forevermore, more, more. Breast my soul Massa Teddy now has been haulin' out the needles from Miss Fanny's work Dat air ain't PURTY now. Tiff will be SHAMED of ye and ye do like that when your mamma's sick Don't ye you know you must be good? Else Tiff won't tell you no stories. There now, sit down on DIS year log. Dat air's just the nicest log, plenty of moss on it you can be picking out. Now, you sit still there, and don't be interrupting your ma." The urchin opened a wide, round pair of blue eyes upon Tiff, looking as if he were mesmerized, and sat, with a quiet, subdued air, upon his log, while Tiff went fumbling about in a box in the corner. After some rattling, he produced a pine knot. As the daylight was fading fast in the room, and driving it into a crack in another log, which stood by the chimney-corner, he proceeded busily to light it, muttering as he did so, "'We want to make it more chip-like.' Then he knelt down and blew the coals under the little porringer which, like pine-coals in general, always sulked and looked back when somebody was not blowing them. He blew vigorously, regardless of the clouds of ashes which encircled him, and which settled even on the tips of his eyelashes. AND BALANCED THEMSELVES ON THE END OF HIS NOSE. BREAST, THE LORD, I'S DREADFUL STRONG IN MY BREATH. LORD, THEY MIGHT HAVE USED ME IN BLACKSMITHSON. I'S KEPT THIS YEAR CHIMNEY GWINE bis MANY A DAY. I WONDER NOW WHAT KEEPS MISS FANNY OUT SO LONG. AND TIFF ROSE UP WITH THE GREATEST PRECAUTION, AND glancing EVERY MOMENT TOWARD THE BED, AND ALMOST tipping herself OVER, IN HIS ANXIETY TO WALK SOFTLY, advanced to the rude door, which opened with a wooden latch and string, opened it carefully and looked out. Looking out with him, we perceive that the little hut stands alone in the heart of a dense pine forest which shuts it in on every side. Tiff held the door open a few moments to listen. No sound was heard, but the shivering wind, swaying and surging in melancholy cadences. Through the long pine leaves, a lonesome, wailing, uncertain sound. Ah, dese yer pine trees, they always a talkin'. Said Tiff to himself in a sort of soliloquy, whisper, whisper, whisper. The Lord knows what it's all about. They never tells folks what they wants to know. Hark! Das Foxy, as sure as I'm a livin' sinner, dar she is as a quick loud bark reverberated aha foxy you'll bring her along caressing a wolfish looking lean cur who came bounding through the trees ah you're good for nothing what makes you run so fast and leave your missus behind ya hark what's that a clear voice came caroling gaily from out the pine trees If you get there before I do, I'm bound for the land of Canaan, whereupon Tiff, kindling with enthusiasm, responded, Look out for me, I'm coming too, I'm bound for the land of Canaan. The response was followed by a gay laugh as a childish voice shouted from the woods, Ha! Tiff, you dare? And immediately a bold, bright, blue-eyed girl of about eight years old, came rushing forward. "'Lors, Miss Fanny, so glad you's come. Your mom's powerful weak this year afternoon.' And then, sinking his voice to a whisper, "'Why now, you'd better believe her spirits isn't the best. Why, she's that bad, Miss Fanny. She actually been a-crying when I put the baby in her arms. Really, I'm concerned.' AND I WISH YOUR pod would COME HOME, DID YOU BRING THE MEDICINE? OH, YES, HERE IT IS. AH, SO GOOD, I WAS A MAKING HER SOME TEA, TO SET HER UP LIKE, AND I'LL PUT A LITTLE DROP OF DIS HERE IN IT. YOU GO on NOW, AND SPEAK TO YOUR ma, AND I'LL PICK UP A LITTLE LIGHT WOOD AROUND HERE, AND MAKE UP THE FIRE. MASSA TEDDY'LL BE POWERFUL GLAD TO SEE HER. I HOPE YOU'S GOT HIM SOMETHING TOO. The girl glided softly into the room, and stood over the bed where her mother was lying. "'Mother, I've come home,' said she gently. The poor, frail creature in the bed seemed to be in one of those helpless hours of life's voyage, when all its waves and billows are breaking over the soul. And while the little newcomer was blindly rooting and striving at her breast, she had gathered the worn counterpane over her face and the bed was shaken by her sobbings. "'Mother! Mother! Mother!' said the child, softly touching her. "'Go away! Go away, child! Oh, I wish I had never been born! I wish you had never been born, nor Teddy, nor the baby! It's all nothing but trouble and sorrow. Fanny, don't you ever marry! Mind what I tell you!' The child stood frightened by the bedside while Tiff had softly deposited a handful of pine wood near the fireplace, had taken off the porringer and was busily stirring and concocting something in an old cracked china mug. As he stirred, a strain of indignation seemed to cross his generally tranquil mind, for he often gave short snips and grunts indicative of extreme disgust, and muttered to himself, this year comes the quality marrying these poor white folks. Never had no opinion on it, no way. Ah, do hear the poor lamb now, enough to break one's heart. By this time, the stirring and flavoring, being finished to his taste, he came to the side of the bed and began in a coaxing tone. Come now, Miss Sue, come. You's all worn out. "'No wonder that ere great feller tugging at you. "'Bless this dear little soul, "'he's gaining half a pound a week, "'enough to pull down his maw entirely. "'Come now, take a little sup of this, "'just a little sup. "'Warm you up, and put a bit of life in you, "'and then I specs to fry you a morsel of their chicken, "'cause a boy like this, "'you can't be nursed on slops, that I knows. "'Dear, dear honey,' said he, gently moving the babe, and passing his arm under the pillow. I dreadful strong in the back. My arm is long and strong, and I'll raise you up as easy. Take a good sup on it now, and watch these troubles down. I reckon the good man above is looking down on us all, and bringing us all round right some time. The invalid, who seemed exhausted by the burst of feeling, to which she had been giving way, mechanically obeyed a voice to which she had always been accustomed, and drank eagerly, as if with feverish thirst, and when she had done, she suddenly threw her arms around the neck of her strange attendant. Oh, Tiff, Tiff, poor old black faithful Tiff, what should I have done without you? So sick as I've been, and so weak, and so lonesome, but Tiff— it's coming to an end pretty soon. I've seen, tonight, that I ain't going to live long, and I've been crying to think the children have got to live. If I could only take them all into my arms, and all lie down in the grave together, I should be so glad. I never knew what God made me for. I've never been fit for anything, nor done anything." Tiff seemed so utterly overcome by this appeal. His great spectacles were fairly washed down in a flood of tears, and his broad, awkward frame shook with sobs. "'Law bless you, Miss Sue. Don't be talkin' that way. Why, if the Lord should call you, Miss Sue, I can take care of the children. I can bring em up powerful, I tell you. But you won't be going. You'll get better.' It's just the spirits is low, and laws—why shouldn't they be?" Just at this moment a loud barking was heard outside the house, together with the rattle of wheels and the tramp of horses' feet. "'Dar's massa, sure as I'm alive,' said he, hastily laying down the invalid and arranging her pillows. A rough voice called, "'Hallo, Tiff! Here with a light?' Tiff caught the pine-knot and ran to open the door. A strange-looking vehicle of a most unexampled composite order was standing before the door, drawn by a lean, one-eyed horse. Here, Tiff, help me out. I've got a lot of goods here. How's Sue? Mrs. is powerful, bad. Been wanting to see you this long time. Well, away, Tiff. Take this out, indicating a long, rusty piece of stovepipe lay this in the house, and here,' handing a cast-iron stove-door with the latch broken, "'Law, Massa, what on earth is the use of this here?' "'Don't ask questions, Tiff. Work away. Help me out with these boxes.' "'What on earth now?' said Tiff to himself, as one rough case after another was disgorged from the vehicle, and landed in the small cabin." this being done and orders being given to Tiff to look after the horse and equipage, the man walked into the house with a jolly, slashing air. "'Hallo, bub,' said he, lifting the two-year-old above his head. "'Hallo, fan,' imprinting a kiss on the cheek of his girl. "'Hallo, sis,' coming up to the bed where the invalid lay and stooping down over her. Her weak Wasted arms were thrown around his neck, and she said with sudden animation, "'Oh, you've come at last. I thought I should die without seeing you.' "'Oh, you ain't a goin to die, sis. Why, what talk?' said he, chucking her under the chin. "'Why, your cheeks are as red as roses.' "'Pa, see the baby,' said little Teddy, who, having climbed over the bed, opened the flannel bundle." Ah, sis, I call that air a tolerable fair stroke of business. Well, I tell you what, I've done up a trade now that will set us up, and no mistake. Besides which, I've got something now in my coat pocket that would raise a dead cat to life if she was laying at the bottom of a pond with a stone around her neck. See here, Dr. Puffer's elixir of the water of life. Wanted to cure janders, toothaches, earaches, scrofula, septia, "'sumption, and everything else I ever heard of. "'A teaspoon of that ere morn and night, "'and in a week you'll be round again as pert as a cricket.' "'It was astonishing to see the change "'which the entrance of this man had wrought upon the invalid. "'All her apprehensions seemed to have vanished. "'She sat up on the bed.' FOLLOWING HIS EVERY MOVEMENT WITH HER EYES, AND APPARENTLY PLACING FULL CONFIDENCE IN THE NEW MEDICINE, AS IF IT WERE THE FIRST TIME THAT EVER A UNIVERSAL REMEDY HAD BEEN PROPOSED TO HER. IT MUST BE NOTICED, HOWEVER, THAT TIFF, WHO HAD RETURNED, AND WAS BUILDING THE FIRE, INDULGED HIMSELF, NOW AND THEN, WHEN THE BACK OF THE SPEAKER WAS TURNED, BY SNUFFING AT HIM IN A PARTICULARLY CONTEMPTUOUS MANNER. The man was a thick-set and not ill-looking personage, who might have been forty or forty-five years of age. His eyes of a clear, lively brown, his close curling hair, his high forehead, and a certain devil-may-care frankness of expression, were traits not disagreeable, and which went some way to account for the partial eagerness with which the eye of the wife followed him. THE HISTORY OF THE PAIR IS BRIEFLY TOLD. He was the son of a small farmer of North Carolina. His father, having been so unfortunate as to obtain possession of a few Negroes, the whole family became ever after inspired with an intense disgust for all kinds of labor. And John, the oldest son, adopted for himself the ancient and honorable profession of a loafer, to lie idle in the sun in front of some small grog shop, to attend horse races, cock-fights, and gander-pullings, to flout out occasionally in a new waistcoat, bought with money which came nobody knew how, were pleasures to him all satisfactory. He was as guiltless of all knowledge of common-school learning as Governor Berkeley could desire, and far more clear of religious training than a Mohammedan or a Hindu. In one of his rambling excursions through the country, He stopped at night at a worn-out and broken-down old plantation, where everything had run down through many years of mismanagement and waste. There he stayed certain days, playing cards with the equally hopeful son of the place, and ended his performances by running away one night with his soft-hearted daughter, only fifteen years of age, and who was full, as idle, careless, and untaught as he THE FAMILY, WHOM POVERTY COULD NOT TEACH TO FORGET THEIR PRIDE, WERE GREATLY SCANDALIZED AT THE MARRIAGE, AND, HAD THERE BEEN ANYTHING LEFT IN THE WORN-OUT ESTATE WHEREWITH TO PORTION HER, THE BRIDE NEVERTHELESS WOULD HAVE BEEN PORTIONLESS. THE sole PIECE OF PROPERTY THAT WENT OUT WITH HER FROM THE PATERNAL MANSION WAS ONE WHO, HAVING A MIND AND WILL OF HIS OWN, COULD NOT BE KEPT FROM FOLLOWING HER. The girl's mother had come from a distant branch of one of the most celebrated families in Virginia, and Tiff had been her servant, and with a heart forever swelling with the remembrances of the ancestral greatness of the patent, he followed his young mistress in her mesalliance with long suffering devotion. He even bowed his neck so far as to acknowledge for his master a man whom he considered by position infinitely his inferior. For Tiff, though crooked and black, never seemed to cherish the slightest doubt that the whole force of the Peyton blood coursed through his veins, and that the Peyton honor was entrusted to his keeping. His mistress was a Peyton, and her children were Peyton children, and even the little bundle of flannel in the gum-tree cradle was a Peyton. And as for him, he was Tiff Paton and this thought warmed and consoled him as he followed his poor mistress during all the steps of her downward course in the world. On her husband, he looked with patronizing civil contempt. He wished him well. He thought it proper to put the best face on all his actions, but in a confidential hour, Tiff would sometimes raise his spectacles emphatically and give it out as his own private opinion that there could not be much smakeded from that airscription of people. In fact, the roving and unsettled nature of John Cripp's avocations and locations might have justified the old fellow's contempt. His industrial career might be defined as comprising a little of everything, and a great deal of nothing. He had begun successively to learn two or three trades, had half made a horseshoe and spoiled one or two carpenter's planes had tried his hand at stage-driving had raised fighting-cocks and kept dogs for hunting negroes but he invariably retreated from every one of his avocations in his own opinion a much-abused man the last device that had entered his head was suggested by the success of a shrewd Yankee peddler, who, having a lot of damaged and unsaleable material to dispose of, talked him into the belief that he possessed yet an undeveloped talent for trade. And poor John Cripps, guiltless of multiplication or addition table, and who kept his cockfighting accounts on his fingers, and by making chalk marks behind the doors, actually was made to believe that he had at last received his true vocation. In fact, there was something in the constant restlessness of this mode of life that suited his roving turn, and though he was constantly buying what he could not sell, and losing on all that he did sell, yet somehow he kept up an illusion that he was doing something, because stray coins now and then passed through his pockets, and because the circle of small taverns in which he could drink and loaf was considerably larger. There was one resource which never failed him when all other streams went dry, and that was the unceasing ingenuity and fidelity of the bondman Tiff. Tiff, in fact, appeared to be one of those comfortable old creatures who retained such a good understanding with all created nature that food never is denied them. Fish would always bite on Tiff's hook when they weren't on anybody else's, so that he was wont confidently to call the nearest stream Tiff's pork barrel. Hens always laid eggs for Tiff and cackled to him confidentially where they were deposited. Turkeys gobbled and strutted for him and led forth for him broods of downy little ones. All sorts of wild game, squirrels, rabbits, coons, and possums, appeared to come with pleasure and put themselves into his traps and springs, so that where another man might starve, Tiff would look round him with unctuous satisfaction, contemplating all nature as his larder, where his provisions were wearing fur coats and walking about on four legs, only for safe keeping until he got ready to eat them so that Cripps never came home without anticipation of something savory, even although he had drunk up his last quarter of a dollar at the tavern. This suited Cripps. He thought Tiff was doing his duty, and occasionally brought him home some unsaleable bit of rubbish, by way of testimonial of the sense he entertained his worth. The spectacles in which Tiff gloried came to him in this manner, and although it might have been made To appear that the glasses were only plain window-glass, Tiff was happily ignorant that they were not the best of convex lenses, and still happier in the fact that his strong, unimpaired eyesight made any glasses at all entirely unnecessary. It was only an aristocratic weakness in Tiff. Spectacles he somehow considered the mark of a gentleman, and an appropriate symbol for one who had been fetched up by the very fustest families in old Virginia, He deemed them more particularly appropriate as, in addition to his manifold outward duties, he likewise assumed, as the reader has seen, some feminine accomplishments. Tiff could darn a stocking with anybody in the country. He could cut out children's dresses and aprons, he could patch and he could seam, all of which he did with infinite self-satisfaction. Notwithstanding the many crooks and crosses in his lot, Tiff was, on the whole, a cheery fellow. He had an oily, rollicking fullness of nature, an exuberance of physical satisfaction in existence, that the greatest weight of adversity could only tone down to becoming sobriety. He was on the happiest of terms of fellowship with himself. He liked himself. He believed in himself. And when nobody else would do it, He would pat himself on his own shoulder and say, "'Tiff, you're a jolly dog, a fine fellow, and I like you.' He was seldom without a running strain of soliloquy with himself, intermingled with joyous bursts of song and quiet intervals of laughter. On pleasant days, Tiff laughed a great deal. He laughed when his beans came up. He laughed when the sun came out after a storm. He laughed for fifty things that you never think of laughing at and it all agreed with him. He throve upon it. In times of trouble and perplexity Tiff talked to himself and found a counselor who always kept secrets. On the present occasion it was not without some inward discontent that he took a survey of the remains of one of his best fatted chickens, which he had been intending to serve up piecemeal for his mistress. So he relieved his mind by a little confidential colloquy with himself. This year, he said to himself, with a contemptuous inclination toward the newly arrived, "Will be for eaten like a judgment, I suppose, which now had killed the old gobbler. Good enough for him, rail tough he is. This year now was my primus chicken, and our she'll just sit and see him eat it. Laws these year women." "'Why, they does get so sot-on husbands. "'Pity they couldn't have something like to be sot-on. "'It just riles me to see him gobbling down everything, "'and she a-lookin' on. "'Well, here goes,' said he, "'depositing the frying-pan over the coals, "'in which the chicken was soon fizzling. "'Drawing out the table, Tiff prepared it for supper. "'Soon the coffee was steaming over the fire, "'and corn-dodgers baking in the ashes.' Meanwhile, John Cripps was busy explaining to his wife the celebrated wares that had so much raised his spirits. "'Well, now you see, Sue, this ere time I've been up to Raleigh, and I met a fellow there come from New York or New Orleans or some northern states.' "'New Orleans isn't a northern state,' humbly interposed his wife. "'Is it?' "'Well, knew something. Who the devil cares? Don't you be interrupting me, you Sues.' Could Cripps have seen the vengeful look which Tiff gave him over the spectacles at this moment, he might have trembled for his supper. But innocent of this, he proceeded with his story. You see, this year fella had a case of bonnets just at the height of the fashion. They come from Paris, the capital of Europe, and he sold them to me for a mere song. Ah, you ought to see him! I'm going to get him out. Tiff, hold the candle here. And Tiff held the burning torch with an air of grim skepticism and disgust, while Cripps hammered and wrenched the top boards off and displayed to view a portentous array of bonnets, apparently of every obsolete style and fashion of the last fifty years. "'Dem's first rate for scarecrows, anyhow,' muttered Tiff. "'Now what?' said Cripps. "'Sue, what do you think I gave for these?' ''I don't know,'' she said faintly. ''Well, I gave fifteen dollars for the whole box, and there ain't one of these,'' said he, displaying the most singular specimen in his hand, ''that isn't worth two to five dollars. I shall clear at least fifty dollars on that box.'' Tiff, at this moment, turned to his frying-pan and bent over it, soliloquizing as he did so. ''Anyway, I's found out one thing,'' WHERE THE WOMEN GETS THEM ROOSTS OF BONNETS THEY WEARS AT CAMP MEETINGS. LAWS, THERE'S ENOUGH TO SPILE A WORK OF GRACE. air, IF I WAS TO MEET ONE OF THEM AIR OF A DARK NIGHT IN A GRAVEYARD, I SHOULD THINK I WAS SENT FOR. NOT THE PLEASANTEST WAY OF SENDING, EITHER. POOR Missus, LOOKING MIGHTY FAINT. I DON'T WONDER. ENOUGH TO SCARE A WEEKLY WOMAN INTO FITS. HERE, TIFF, HELP ME TO OPEN THIS BOX. Hold the light here. Darned if it don't come off hard. Here's a lot of shoes and boots I got of the same man. Some of mates and some ain't. But then I took the lot cheap. Folks don't always wear both shoes alike. Might like to wear an odd one sometimes if it's cheap. Now this year, pair of boots, is ladies' gaiters all complete, except there's a hole in the lining down by the toe body ought to be careful about putting it on, else the foot will slip between the outside and the lining. Anybody that bears that in mind. Just as nice a pair of gaiters as they'd want. Bargain there for somebody. Complete one, too. Then I've got two or three old bureau drawers that I got cheap at auction, and I reckon some on them will fit the old frame that I got last year. Got them for a mere song. Bless you, massa. That ere old bureau I took for the chicken coop. Turkeys and chickens hops in lively. Oh, well, scrub it up. Twill answers just as well. Fit the drawers in. And now, old woman, we will sit down to supper, said he, planting himself at the table and beginning a vigorous onslaught on the fried chicken without invitation to any other person present to assist him. Mrs. can't set up at the table, said Tiff. She's done been sick ever since the baby was born. And Tiff approached the bed with a nice morsel of chicken, which he had providentially preserved on a plate, which he now reverently presented on a board, as a waiter, covered with newspaper. Now do eat, Missus. You can't live on looking. No ways you can fix that. Do eat while Tiff gets on the baby's nightgown. To please her old friend, the woman made a feint of eating, but while Tiff's back was turned to the fire. "'busied herself with distributing it to the children "'who had stood hungrily regarding her, "'as children will regard that that is put on a sick mother's plate. "'It does me good to see them eat,' she said apologetically once, "'when Tiff, turning around, detected her in the act. Oh, missus, maybe, but you've got to eat for two now. "'What they eat ain't, ain't going to diss your little man here, mind that air.' Cripps apparently bestowed a very small attention on anything except the important business before him, which he prosecuted with such devotion that very soon coffee, chicken, and Dodgers had all disappeared. Even the bones were sucked dry and the gravy wiped from the dish. "'Ah, that's what I call comfortable,' said he, lying back in his chair. "'Tiff, pull my boots off, and hand out that ere demijohn. "'I hope you've made a comfortable meal,' he said, incidentally standing with his back to her, compounding his potation of whisky and water, which, having drank, he called up Teddy and offered him the sugar at the bottom of the glass. But Teddy, being forewarned by a meaning glance through Tiff's spectacles, responded very politely, "'No, thank you, Pa. I don't love it.' "'Well, come here, then, and take it off like a man. It's good for you,' said John Cripps." the mother's eyes followed the child wishfully and she said faintly don't john don't and tiff ended the controversy by taking the glass unceremoniously out of his master's hands laws bless you massa can't be bothered with these year young ones dis year time o night time day's all in bed and dishes washed up here Ted, seizing the child and loosening the buttons on his slip behind and drawing out a rough trundle-bed You crawl in there and curl up in your nest, and don't you forget your prayers, honey, else maybe you'll never wake up again. Cripps had now filled a pipe with tobacco of the most villainous character, with which incense he was perfuming the little apartment. Laws, massa, that air smoke ain't good for Mises, said Tiff. She done been sick to her stomach all day. Oh, let him smoke. I like to have him enjoy himself said the indulgent wife, "'But, Fanny, you had better go to bed, dear. Come here and kiss me, child. Good night, good night.' The mother held on to her long and looked at her wishfully, and when she had turned to go she drew her back, kissed her again, and said, "'Good night, dear child, good night.' Fanny climbed up a ladder in one corner of the room through a square hole to the loft above. I say," said Cripps, taking his pipe out of his mouth, and looking at Tiff, who was busily washing dishes, I say it's kind of peculiar that Gal keeps sick so. Seemed to have a good constitution when I married her. I'm thinking," said he, without noticing the gathering wrath in Tiff's face, I'm a-thinking whether Steamin' wouldn't do her good. Now I got a most dreadful cold when I was up in Raleigh, thought I should have given up, and there was a steam doctor there, had a little kind of machine with kettles and pipes, and he put me in a bed, put in the pipes, and set it going. I thought, my soul, I should have been floated off, but it carried off the cold complete. I'm thinking, if something of that kind wouldn't be good for Miss Cripps. Laws, massa, don't go for trying it on her. She is never no better for these stings that you do for her. "'Now,' said Cripps, not appearing to notice the interruption, "'these yer stove-pipes and tea-kettle, "'I shouldn't wonder if we could get up a steam with them.' "'It's my private opinion, if you do, "'she'll be sailing out of the world,' said Tiff. "'What's one man's meat is another man's piesin,' "'my old missus used to say. "'Very best thing you could do for her is to let her alone. "'That error is my opinion.' "'John,' said the little woman after a few minutes. I wish you'd come here and sit by the bed. There was something positive and almost authoritative in the manner in which this was said, which struck John as so unusual that he came with a bewildered air, sat down, and gazed at her with his mouth wide open. I'm so glad you've come home, because I've had things that I've wanted to say to you. I've been lying here, thinking about it, and I have been turning it over in my mind. I'm going to die soon, I know. Ah, bah, don't be bothering a fellow with any of your hysterics. John, John, it isn't hysterics. Look at me, look at my hand, look at my face. I'm so weak, and sometimes I have such coughing spells, and every time it seems to me as if I should die. But it ain't to trouble you that I talk. I don't care about myself, but I don't want the children to grow up and be like what we've been. You have a great many contrivances. do pray, contrive to have them taught to read and make something of them in the world. Bah, what's the use? I never learnt to read, and I'm as good a fellow as I want. Why there's plenty of men round here making their money every year they can't read or write a word. Old Hubble up there up on the Shad Plantation, has hauled in money, hand over hand, and he always signs his mark. Got nine sons? Can't a soul of them read or write more than I? I tell you, there's nothing ever comes of your learning. It's all a sell, a regular Yankee hoax. I've always got cheated by them damn reading writing Yankees whenever I've traded with them. What's the good I want to know? You was teached how to read when you was young. Much good it's ever done you. Sure enough. Sick day and night, and moving from place to place, sick baby crying, and not knowing what to do for it, no more than a child. Oh, I hope Fanny will learn something. It seems to me if there's some school for my children to go to, or some church, or something. Now, if there is... Any such place as heaven, I should like to have them get to it. Bah, bah, don't bother about that. When we get keeled up, that will be the last of us. Come, come, don't plague a fellow any more with such talk. I'm tired, and I'm going to sleep. And the man, divesting himself of his overcoat, threw himself on the bed, and was soon snoring heavily in profound slumber. Tiff, who had been trotting the baby by the fire, now came softly to the bedside and sat down. Miss Sue, he said, "It's no count talkin' to him. I don't mean nothin' disrespectful, Miss Sue, but the fact is, dem dat isn't born gentlemen can't be spected fur to see through dese yer things like us of de old families. Law, Missus, don't you worry." Now just leave this here matter to old Tiff. There never wasn't anything Tiff couldn't do if he tried. He <laughs> Oh, Miss Fanny, she done got the letters right smart, and I know I'll come it round Massa and make him buy the books for her. I'll tell you what's coming to my head today. "'There's a young lady come to the big plantation up there "'who's been to New York getting educated, "'and I's going to ask her about these year things, "'and about the chillens going to church, "'and these yer things, "'and why I'm preaching, you know, "'is mazin and uncertain around here. "'But I'll keep on look lookout and do the best I can. "'Why, Lord, Miss Sue, "'I's bound for the land of Canaan myself "'the best way I can, "'and I'm certain I "'shan't go without taking the children along with me. "'Ho, ho, ho, that's what I shan't. "'The children will have to be with Tiff, "'and Tiff will have to be with the children, "'wherever they is. "'That's it. "'He, he, he. "'Tiff,' said the young woman, "'her large blue eyes looking at him, "'I have heard of the Bible. "'Have you ever seen one, Tiff?' "'Oh, yes, honey.' There was a big Bible that your ma brought in the family when she married, but that air was tore up to make wadding for de guns, one thing or another, and they never got no more. But I's been very servin' and keepin' my ears open in a camp meeting and such places, and I learn right smart of the things that's in it. Now, Tia, can you say anything? said she, fixing her large troubled eyes on him. Well, honey, there's one thing the man said at the last camp meeting. He preached about it, and I couldn't make out a word. He said because I ain't smart about preaching like I be about most things. But he said this year so often that I can't help remember it, says he. It was dish your way. Come unto me, all ye labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest? Rest? "'Rest, rest,' said the woman, thoughtfully, and drawing a long sigh. "'Oh, how much I wanted! Did he say that was in the Bible?' "'Yes, he said so, and I spects by all he said it's the good man above that says it. It always makes me feel better to think on it. It appeared like he was just what I was wanting to hear.' And I, too, she said, turning her head wearily and closing her eyes. Tiff, she said, opening them, where I'm going. Maybe I shall meet the one who said that, and I'll ask him about it. Don't talk to me no more now. I'm getting sleepy. I thought I was better a little while after he came home. But i'm more tired yet put the baby in my arms i like the feeling of it there there now give me rest please do and she sank into a deep and quiet slumber tiff softly covered the fire and sat down by the bed watching the flickering shadows as they danced upward on the wall listening to the heavy sighs of the pine-trees and the hard breathing of the sleeping man. Sometimes he nodded sleepily, and then, recovering, rose and took a turn to awaken himself. A shadowy sense of fear fell upon him, not that he apprehended anything, for he regarded the words of his mistress only as the forebodings of a wearied invalid. The idea that she could actually die and go anywhere without him to take care of her, seemed never to have occurred to him. About midnight, as if a spirit had laid its hand upon him, his eyes flew wide open with a sudden start. Her thin, cold hand was lying on his, her eyes, large and blue, shone with a singular and spiritual radiance. "'Tiff!' she gasped, speaking with difficulty. "'I've seen the one that said that, and it's all true, too.' And I've seen all why I've suffered so much. He, he, he is going to take me. Tell the children about him. There was a fluttering sigh, a slight shiver, and the lids fell over the eyes forever. End of Chapter 8 Old Tiff